thinking about that, uh, you know, I'm grateful to my mom and dad who instilled in me many good things, but one thing that they supremely instilled in me was that God has a will and a plan for every person's life. And, uh, you know, I think because that was so instilled in me, I'm just assuming that all people feel that way, but I've come to understand that not all people feel that way. I mean, I'm talking about all saved people. I don't mean all spirit-filled people. Don't feel that way. Uh, There may be a very general thing. God has a plan and a will for our life, but that our supreme desire should be to say, I want to know what is God's will for my life because God has something special for me. Do you believe that? And I want to probe a little deeper in that. And to say, no, I don't care what goes on in my life. I don't care what happens. I just want to make myself transparent and vulnerable to do God's will. So as I thought of that, I think that there are good people who approach life in different ways. I'm not saying people are bad here. I'm just saying maybe because of the preaching we have heard and the teaching we've been exposed to, we may think differently about something. And so I think in it, there are people who are, who are doing our own will. That's one way of living the Christian life is I'm saved. And when I, go day, when I die, I go to heaven. Uh, but in the meanwhile, I'm doing my own will. So if we ponder, that doesn't mean people who, who approach that life would be bad people. We may consider them very good Christians. And as a matter of fact, what people often do when they live according to their own will is they ask God to bless it. They'll decide things. They'll make decisions for their life, and they'll ask God to bless it. They'll even go to the pastor and say, Pastor, I've decided to do something. Can you pray with me and asking God to bless it? It's a very common way to live the Christian life, to do our own thing. Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. And then we pray over it, and we say, well, you know, God's going to be involved in what I'm doing. And so people may say, you know, it may happen in marriage. So I'm going to marry Joe Doe over here, and that's it. God bless it. And so, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out that great. Or, or I'm going to move to Toronto. God bless it. I'm going to enlist in University of Toronto. God bless it. I made that decision. That's what I feel like. And so many failures come from doing our own will. And then a second way, a second thing that we want to consider is doing God's will our own way. That's a whole other thing where we say, well, I know this is God's will for me. They have a general sense that God wants something in my life. And then we do it our own way. Both of these ways lead to dissatisfaction and failure. But God is a good God. How many have ever failed? How many would, you don't have to raise your hand for this. Please don't raise your hand. I'd be too discouraged if you do. Uh, You say, well, I think sometimes I've done my own thing and failed. Or I've even done God's thing, but I did it my way and failed. Now, don't raise your hand for that because I don't want to see it and your neighbor doesn't want to see it. But you can maybe say, I think I've done that, but God was still a good God even though you failed. Maybe you suffered a great setback in life because one of those two scenarios, but God is still a good God. And so, so God is, he's your heavenly father. You know, he just like our children may do that, but we are still good parents. Can I hear an amen? But the desire, what I want to probe into here is doing God's will, God's way. There's a tremendous power in losing our life and in losing it, we find it. And really, when we do God's will, God's way, then the blessing is automatic. You know, a lot of people spend a lot of time praying for God to bless things. But can I say this to you? I hope you don't misunderstand me. That whatever God has initiated and energized, he will bless. I hope I am not 
you know, ruining your image of Pastor Peter Youngren if I tell you this, that I spend very little time asking God to bless anything. I'm talking about my own prayer life. I don't ask God to bless things. The only time I ask him to bless anything is if I'm not sure that, you know, I may be doing something that he hasn't really told me to do. And I say, please come and help me out, Lord. Bail me out. But otherwise, I don't ask God to bless things. Why should I? Is he such an irresponsible father that he tells me to do something and then he says, unless you remind me every day to bless it, I'm not going to bless it. No. If you're doing God's will, God's way, you don't have to spend time asking God to bless it because the blessing will be automatic. You don't you, you spend any time in prayer. You pray about lots of other things, but you don't ask God to bless it because you know God told me to do this. this God is in this. And so, you know, of course, he's not going to leave me hanging. He's not going to leave me, uh, you know, he, he's with me because I, I'm doing his will and he's more interested in it uh, than what I am. And so and you can see these, there are many stories in the Bible that show us how people try to shortcut God's will. And you know, when we come to the end of the year, we're thinking about time. You know, time is a foremost on our mind when we come to December 31st and say, well, where, where am I at in time? How much have I progressed in the last 12 months? And so many times people suffer setbacks because of a shortcut. And you can see many examples, Abraham, Daniel, David. Uh, uh, you can see all kinds of examples through the Bible of this, uh, people who either did not go for the shortcut or people who did. And of course, our greatest example is Jesus. How many knew that was going to be the case? And one interesting scenario I meditated on in, in, in John chapter 2, it says that Jesus was in Jerusalem and many people believed in him. He had great success, but he didn't make a commitment. You know, Jesus had great needs, great challenges, but Jesus had certain principles that what he was going to do was going to be done in the heavenly father's way. And so I believe God has, so he, Jesus didn't make that commitment. He says that people followed him, people were praising him. There was great success, but he didn't make a commitment because he knew what was in the heart of man. And so Jesus is our great example for not seeking shortcuts. And so as we talk, think about timings and where we're at and God's will for our life, I've been pondering these thoughts and I want to share some things with you. I'm looking at Moses as our example. Often we don't look at Moses, but it's okay to look at Moses because Jesus said, you have one who accuses you, Moses, and I'm not going to do it. So Jesus is not the accuser. He's different than Moses. But then he says, Moses wrote about me. And if you believe what Moses said, you believe in me. So Moses is a, is a depiction uh, towards Jesus. And I want to uh, submit to you, number one, that Moses was living in a time of great destiny. Everybody say a great destiny. I think we recognize that. I don't know how you feel or how much you follow what's going on in the world, but it's quite a world. Where Moses had a great destiny on his life, and I, I believe that we have a great destiny. The world is ready for the good news because every religion brings bad news of requirements that are not possible for humans to live up to, whether it's in the whatever cloth it comes under, whatever the name of the religion is, it is all about what we must do while the gospel, the good news, is about what Jesus has done. And God has brought that revelation to us. It, it is going to explode. But I say to you as Celebration Church family on this special day that it's going to explode God's way. Not only is it important to have God's will, but to have God's way. Everybody say God's will and God's way. 
And so look at Moses, Exodus 2. Moses went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out on the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptians? Now, I want to show you first, doing God's will our way. That's what Moses is doing. And I know if you watch the Ten Commandments, you know, the movie with Charlton Heston, don't build your Bible understanding on the movies. You see, now, that's a nice movie. I'm not against Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments and the, and the waters parting and all that. But don't build, you say, well, that's the way it happened. Because sometimes the directors of the movies, they didn't really read the whole scriptural passage, you see. And so there in Charlton Heston goes out and he just, he just sort of becomes some kind of an avenger, some kind of a deliverer who's in righteous indignation, who's just going to, you know, take a revenge against injustice. But there's more than that. The Bible tells us that Moses knew God's will for his life. He knew that God's will is deliverance for the Israelites. God wants the Israelites out of slavery. God has a plan for our life. And we know that not by watching Charlton Heston, but by reading Acts chapter 7 that addresses this issue. Because in Acts chapter 7 it says, Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, he came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed, everybody say, for he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they didn't understand. So Moses understood the people of Israel are going to be delivered by my hand. And he assumed everybody understands that. He supposed, well, I'm going to go out there and start this revival going. I'm going to go out there and make it happen. I'm going to go out there and kill the Egyptian because I know my people need to go free. And I suppose everybody will rally. But they didn't understand it. So Moses knew God's will and he thought everybody else knew it. Moses knew God's will, but not God's way. He murdered to accomplish God's will. Wow, how many have known some people, or maybe you yourself, you've done some pretty outrageous things to make God's will for your life come to pass? Now, don't raise your hand. This is not a service to raise your hand at the wrong time. I don't want to know. Have you ever tried to say, bless God, I'm going to make this happen? I mean, you can see Moses thinking. He just put two and two together. He says, well, I feel this call of God. God wants me to deliver Israelites, and, and I'm such a unique person. Look at this, how God rescued me when I was a little baby, and here I'm living in the house of Pharaoh. I have all this education, and, and surely God's going to use my education and my position. He's going to use this to bring deliverance. I mean, it's not by chance that I'm in Pharaoh's house, and, I'm, and all the other Hebrew people there are slaves. Surely, you know, this is God putting it all together, positioning me so that I can be the deliverer. You can see how he worked that out. People do that all the time. So when I'm here and, you know, I have this connection and I got to know this person and I got the, I mean, must be God putting it together. But here's a principle. 
God never planned to use Moses' position to bring his will to pass. God never planned to use Moses' position. In fact, God's will did not unfold till 40 years after Moses had lost his position. Wow, are you, are you still out there? Are you seeing that? He lost his position. You see, God wants his will to be done his way. And his way is the way that he gets all the glory. It is supernatural. Now, you can build a lot of things by natural means, including a church. See, sometimes we think, well, you know, if just, if just so-and-so got saved. You hear somebody who's like a, a great artist, you know, a great movie star, you know, if only so-and-so got saved, or a politician, or, man, or if this billionaire would get saved, wouldn't that be something? Oh, God would really use them. That's how we think. No, no, no. As a matter of fact, our world is full of examples of, quote-unquote, famous people who got saved, and everybody put them on a pedestal, and they gave their testimony for three months, and then they fell by the wayside. So if only so-and-so who's a lot of money, you know, if they got saved more, that'd be great for you, Pastor Peter, if this billionaire would come in. No, that's not. God has never done his work that way. God has never used human position or talent. He has always done, I'm not saying you can't have success doing it the human way. I am saying to you, when God does something, he does it his way. How many want God's way? Because I feel a great sense of destiny. I feel a great sense of purpose. Let me tell you, God's hand is upon our lives. But we're not going to make it happen our way. We're going to stand back and let's see God do it his way. That doesn't mean that we're going to be an active or passive. It means that we are yielding to him. We are not going to allow setbacks to come because we did God's will our way. See, that's what happened to Moses. Get the math here now. Just, just take my word for this. It's true. You can check it out when you go home in your Bible. In Genesis 15... God said to Abraham that when the people of Israel go to Egypt, they're going to be there for 400 years. Everybody say 400 years. You know what happened? It says in Exodus 12, 40, Israel was in Egypt 430 years. You can see it. I think it does on the PowerPoint. Israel lived in Egypt for 430 years. So God said 400 years, but then it ended up being 430. So what does that tell you? So at what time did Moses kill the Egyptian? He killed the Egyptian 40 years before they left Egypt. So after 390 years, how many get the math? How many, how many with you in the math here? Now, I, know it's, I know it's Sunday morning, it's early, and, and your brain has been a little idle for a week. How many with me now? 430 years, 40 years earlier, he kills the Egyptians. God said, in 400 years you're leaving, so we can say one thing, it was the wrong time and it was the wrong method. It was 10 years before God had said it was going to happen. And so Moses goes ahead and says, I'm going to make it happen. I'm just going to make it happen right now. We can't wait. These people are suffering too much. There's too much pain out there. Let's make it happen. And instead of being on time 400 years, what happens, it takes 40 years for Moses to recover and get it right. Hopefully it won't take that long for you and I. Can I hear an amen to that? But you know, let me encourage you so you think, well, maybe it's going to take that. No, 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 no. Because you see, it took Jesus 40 days to get ready. So I'm sticking with Jesus rather than with Moses. Can I hear an amen to that? See, Jesus had 40 days of preparation. Moses had 40 years. Thank God for the new covenant. Thank God we don't have Moses living in us. We have Jesus living in us. So amen. So it depends how much you go with Moses and how much you go with Jesus, how long time it's going to take. So let's stick with Jesus. Oh, come on. Somebody get excited about that.
But you see, in other words, it was a setback in time. You see, now every person God used had to learn one lesson. They had to learn it was all God, 100% God. What God wants in Canada is going to be 100% God. It's going to be all him and 0% you and I. We are the instruments. We are the vessels, but the power is of him. The achievement is of him. It's all of him. Praise God. And so we need to learn to rely on him. That's what Joseph, Joseph had to learn. You know, you know, there was 22 years time between God giving the vision to Joseph and Joseph seeing that vision fulfilled. Paul spent 14 years in preparation. He knew he was an apostle. David spent minimum, maybe more, minimum four years between being anointed king and ever experiencing any part of the kingdom. What was that time all about? It was about learning to rely on God, trusting God, leaning on him. It's all him. I can't bring it to pass myself. I can't make it happen. It's not going to be by my power. It's not going to be by my effort. It's going to be God. Do you, do you have that kind of trust for God to do a great thing in your family? I'm talking about your family. I'm talking about your life. You say, I, have, I sense God wants something with my life. Are you willing to step back, relax, rest in Jesus and say, well, I, I know this is what God wants, but I'm going to trust him. He's going to bring it to pass. He who has begun the good work, he's going to finish it. And when he finishes it, he gets all the glory. He gets all the praise. All worship goes to him. Hallelujah. I believe we are on the precipice of something very great, but this is a very important lesson that I'm teaching this New Year's Eve, that not only to do God's will, we know what God's will is. I think everybody, most people in this house, you could give a pretty good articulation of what God's will is for the Niagara region, for Canada, for North America, for the world, for your own family, for your own life. I think all of us know that God has something far bigger, far greater, far more just majestic than anything we have ever seen yet with our physical eyes. Can I hear an amen to that? I think for our church, many people in this room, if I was putting a microphone in front of you and you would say, can you articulate what you feel God's will is for the Celebration Church? You would be able to articulate that. You would be able to speak something and it would be big. It would sound awesome. It would sound great. And everybody would say, amen to that. And so I'm teaching an important lesson today. Hallelujah. Jesus is coming soon. We don't have all the time in the world. You're not going to be here forever. Let's do it. God's will, God's way. Now let's look at this. Look at this, how it happens, unfolds in Moses' life. First, when he did it in his own way, he failed bitterly. Then it says, key verse, Psalm 103, verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, but his acts to the children of Israel. Now, when did Moses discover God's ways? First of all, you remember the burning bush. So Moses is walking through the desert, and he sees a bush burning. Now, it wasn't a special bush. It wasn't a specially trimmed bush. It was just an ordinary bush. But there's a fire in that bush, and there's a voice coming out of that bush. Now, you know, that is highly unnatural. A bush cannot contain fire. What is the natural, the course of nature is that fire would consume a bush. I can just see Moses standing there, and he says, this is a strange sight. That's why he removes the shoes off his feet. He says, it's holy ground. Something strange is going on. God takes not a bush from an horticultural plantation somewhere, or some specially nice greenhouse, but an ordinary bush in the desert. And transforms 
the nature of that bush so that it can contain fire. Now that's a message. That's a sermon in and of itself. I believe Moses saw himself in that bush. He said, that's me. I used to be a very elegant bush. I used to be mighty in word and deed. He was a general according to, to the Roman historian Josephus. He led the Egyptian army into battle, was a victorious, a great military strategist. He said, I had everybody's ear, but look at me now. I've become an ordinary bush. But God takes that which is ordinary and transforms it. It has always been God's way that God takes that which is nothing, that which is debased, that, it, that which is weak, so that no flesh should glory, but that all the praise should go to him. Oh, come on, give the Lord Jesus a big hand. Give Jesus a big hand. Now it says in Exodus 4 verse 10, here you have a different Moses who is getting into understanding God's ways. Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. Then the Lord said, go and I will be with you. And I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Sometimes we've got a wrong understanding of Moses. We say, oh, Moses wasn't a good speaker. Actually, the Bible says he was a very good speaker. He was mighty in word. That means he was a mighty orator. He was a good speaker. Acts chapter 7, I read, he was mighty in word and deed. He's a man full of action, full of initiative. He could speak. He could put together a good presentation. He was not some stammering person. But what we see in Exodus chapter 4 is Moses in relationship to the enormous task that he knows God has called him to do and how he sees himself. We don't see him as the people saw him. Or as the Egyptians have seen him, they saw him as a man mighty in word and deed, a great strategist. But here Moses says, I don't have enough. I'm, I'm inept. I'm inarticulate. I'm unsuitable. Because he sees himself in a different way. You know what happened to Moses? No more self-reliance. Total need of God. You see, in Exodus chapter 4, we see Moses as he saw himself after the burning bush. In Exodus chapter 2, we have Moses full of self-sufficiency as he saw himself before the burning bush. Look at here. Verse 1 says, Moses answers, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So Moses discovers, I am so dependent on God. We would say it this way, I am so dependent on the Holy Spirit. Jesus, I need you. Oh, Jesus, help me today. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. Oh, Jesus, help me in the regular daily affairs of life, the moment-by-moment moment instances of life. This is what happened to Moses, and we have the description where he says, oh, God, I need you to go with me. I need your presence. I need your glory. I need you with me. God, I can't go. I, I can't do it. It's a completely transformed person. He says, I want your glory, God, unless you go with me. Say, this is sometimes hard for people to grasp, especially, you know, you got to understand that people say, well, I'm a faith person, but I can do it. Bless God, I can do it. You see, that's not faith. We're not talking about positive mental attitude. We're not talking about mind over matter, but sometimes if people don't understand the depth of the message of faith, they begin to think when you begin to talk like I'm talking to you right now, it says, well, that we are nothing in ourselves. We can do nothing of us. It says, well, that's not the message I want. I want to hear praise. 
Praise God. You can make it, brother. But you see, that's not real faith. The real faith recognizes I am nothing in myself, but I have Jesus living in me. So because he is in me, I am something. I have something. I can speak to the mountain because when I speak his word, I speak his desires, I speak his will, energized by him, then the mountain is removed. So there's no contradiction. The real faith recognizes that without him, I am nothing. Let me give you a couple of verses on this. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine. You're the branches He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me You can do nothing The branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Maybe you say well, I feel like my life hasn't been that fruitful I'd hope to see more fruit at the end of this year pastor peter I'd hope to by now that I would see more fruit than Jesus tells us. Well, the reason here, what you got to connect with is that without me, you can do nothing. And I recognize that in any area. You know, the commercial, this product is $100, the next one is $50, but this is priceless. You know, you know the priceless part is the Jesus part. We can shout, we can pray, we can worship, we can plan, we can organize. But without him, you can even have great success. And first of all, people think it's successful, but I'm not going for success people's way. We're going for success God's way. Hallelujah. I told you last Sunday that I look back on it when the last healing testimony we had on, on December 21st was the Muslim cleric, Mr. Rahman, a Muslim preacher. Like I said, what's a Muslim cleric? He's like a pastor of a church. He's a pastor in a mosque. But he was blind and Jesus gave him sight and he turns to me on the platform after he testifies and weeping to the crowd in the football stadium in Jakarta and he says, I want to be baptized. I want to be baptized. You know, we didn't tell him you have to be baptized. Jesus touched him. That's priceless. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's priceless. Amen. We can pay for the posters. We can pay for television time. We can pay for chairs. We can pay. But that, come on, tell somebody else, that's priceless. Paul says in Romans, that is in my flesh dwells nothing good. Now Moses only realized this after blowing it because he went and killed, murdered somebody to make God's will come to pass. Hopefully nobody in this room has murdered anybody to make God's will come to pass. But I know some of you have done maybe some things. I mean, you were going to make it happen. Bless God. I will show everybody I can make it happen. He murdered somebody to make God's will come to pass. Because he was a self-sufficient person. I can do it. But in Exodus 4, there's no self-sufficiency. You know what self-sufficiency does? It opens us up for the devil's condemnation. That's why it's so fun to have all your sufficiency in Jesus. Because the devil can't get behind that, see. As long as we are self-sufficient, bless God, I'm going to pray. I'm going to make it happen. Then the devil can always come and say to you, hey, you missed it. You didn't pray yesterday. You promised a week ago that you're going to pray every day. You didn't miss yesterday. And you feel all condemned. But you see, once you recognize that your sufficiency is in Jesus, he can't get to you, the devil I'm talking about. He can't get to you because whatever he says, he said, well, it wasn't me anyhow, it's Jesus. So what if I missed it? Jesus didn't miss it. So what are you talking about? It wasn't me. I never trusted in me anyhow. Never trusted I was going to make it happen anyhow. I'm trusting in Jesus. He has never missed it. He never will miss it. So my faith is in him. So back on. Did we read this verse yet? 2 Corinthians 3, 5? I think we didn't. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything of us being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God who made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. So look at what happens here. Exodus 4. 
I better get on with Moses. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground. Then it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. I would have too. I don't like snakes that much. I like to watch the animal planet. A National Geographic. I find snakes really intriguing. I mean, I can watch those animal shows forever, but you put a snake right here, I'm going to flee from it too. Come on, somebody talk to me. I know some of you have pythons maybe in your home or whatever, so don't be offended, but, but you keep them there. I have a dog, thank you very much. And you have your pet and I have mine, all right? We're not going to fight over that. But so he fled, Moses fled. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out, so he's running, and said, reach out your hand and touch it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord God has appeared to you. Now, look at me here. I watch enough Animal Planet shows. Roxanne knows this is my favorite channel. National Geographic and Animal Planet. And I've watched a lot of people running around trying to find a snake and this deadly thing. And, and usually it's Australians, you know what I mean? There's one after the other. And I've noticed one thing. They never touch a cobra by its tail. No matter which one it is, no one will ever say, let's grab that cobra by its tail. Because you get the cobra by its tail, you're out of control. The cobra is in control. So you always go for the head. You grab the head because once you got that head captured and you're holding that very tight, then you are in control. So what is God saying to Moses? Moses runs away and his natural instinct, first of all, is to run away. And if he was supposed to grab that snake, his instinct would be, he probably knew as much as we do, I got to take it by the head. I got to find a stick and pin it to the ground by the head and then reach down and take it and hold it tight by the head. But God says, I want you to take the snake by the tail. What is God saying? He says, I want you to do it contrary to natural understanding. I don't want you to do it by your ability, by you knowing how to do it. I want you to do it my way. I will show you if you do it my way, the wonder will be far greater. So he touched the tail of that serpent and it returned to being a rod. You see, something has happened to Moses. There is a transformation. He is not trying to make it happen his way. Whether it is your children's salvation, whether it's the deliverance of some family member, or whether you're believing for your home group or for your church or for a job or for whatever it is, let's do it God's way. I say it again, this church, Celebration Church, we are not just interested in success. We are interested in success God's way. Some of those people say, well, you know, Moses ran into the wilderness. You know, he just fled away. No, you know what the Bible tells us why he went into the wilderness. He went in by faith. It says in Hebrews 11, by faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And then it says later on in verse 27, by faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. Why did Moses go into the desert? Why did he walk away from it all? He was the general. He was the son of Pharaoh, adopted son of Pharaoh. Could have maybe become the next Pharaoh. What a position. What a position to bring Israel into freedom. From looking at that. But he walked away from all of that. How? By faith. By faith. He said, it's okay. If God doesn't make it happen, I don't care if it ever happens. I'm leaving Egypt. I'm leaving all that stuff. By faith. You know, this is quite a transformed man. He learned God's ways. David is another example of this. You know, 
We love David, and of course, Jesus is called the son of David. He's there, and God has anointed him king. Then Saul comes, and, and he's hunting for him, and Saul is in the cave. You know the story. And he cuts off a piece of Saul's cloth rather than killing Saul. He didn't take matters in his own hand, but he says, I'm trusting God. Later on, way years later, David exhibits the same trait. I think that's why he was a man after God's own heart in spite of everything that happened in his life was this, that when Absalom rebels and David is driven, he has to flee from Jerusalem. This is after he's been spending years as a king and his son Absalom rebels and the people are rallying with Absalom. You know what David does? He decides, I'm not going to stand and fight and kill my own people. You know what happened? The high priest comes to David and says, well, David, I got the ark of God prepared. So if you're leaving town, we'll take the ark with us because the ark represented God's glory and God's presence. So he said, we may leave town, but we'll take the ark. And so when Absalom comes in here, he won't have the ark because we'll have it with us wherever we are. And so God will be with us and all the people will know that God is with us. So he said, I'm all ready. Let's take the ark and let's go. But you know what David says? He says, no, you leave the ark where it is. You leave it where we put it on Mount Zion because God can vindicate me. So he walks away, flees from his own city. He could have fought, could have brought the ark, flees. You know, that's a powerful picture of what I'm talking about, doing it God's way. And of course, God restores David mightily. You know, are you all right? You're getting very quiet here now. Not many mighty. Now, David was mighty, but he became very not mighty. He became very weak. He had nothing. Moses, mighty in word and deed. Yes, yes, he had talents. Don't tell me that Moses had no talent, that he couldn't speak and he wasn't coherent. No, 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 no. He was mighty in word and deed. But he became inwardly saying, I cannot do anything without God. Praise God. Doing God's will God 